For all of you joining us online, we're so grateful that you have carved out the space and time to be with us. We're so grateful that we can, through the gift of technology, connect with people all over the world. Hey, I've got some good news, some new news for you. On September 12th, we are going to go to two in-person services. Yes. At 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. I know all of you 9 o'clockers in the room have been waiting for us to get to the 9 o'clock so you can get to brunch early and, and beat every other church out of here. So we'll be starting that on September 12th. It'll be identical services at 9 and 11. It doesn't change anything for our online viewers. We'll be broadcasting both of those services at the same time. So we're super excited about that. So I've got three goals for us to pray about and be a part of as we move to two services on September 12th. The first one is this. I'm praying and believing for 500 people more to come back to in-person services. 500 more people who have, haven't yet come back to services. So, so if you're joining us online, I'm really speaking to your heart. Maybe you have been praying about it, considering it, thinking about it. We would love it if you came back to one of the services at 9 and 11. Uh, I know that the COVID numbers are going the opposite direction. And uh, we, we need to be praying uh, for healing in our world, in our nation. And we need to be careful and cautious as well. Um, and so we're going to be watching those numbers closely and see if we need to make any adjustments to our, our, how we serve our people. People here, but we also know that people are ready to come back and we're ready for you and we miss you. We, we want to, the church was designed to gather and to be in person and to spur one and on towards love and good works in the name of Jesus. So if you're thinking about coming back or if you know people who have yet to come back and maybe you just, they just need some encouragement, would you encourage, tell them we, we are going to be safe, we're going to be ready. There's plenty of areas of social distance and actually going into services gives us the chance to spread out even more. Um, so it's, it's, we're going to be ready for them. The second one is this, as we go to two services, uh, there are going to be opportunities for new people to serve in ministry. So what we're praying for and believing in is for 150 new servant leaders to serve with us in ministry. 150 new leaders to serve in ministry on the weekends. When you watch a movie, at the end of the movie, there is a, a rolling uh, list of credits or people's names, maybe about a hundred or more names who come up at the end of the movie. You probably didn't see majority of those people in the film. You probably saw just a handful, but it took all of those people to make the movie happen. Well, on a weekend service like this, it takes about 150 or more people to do a service, to care for our children and our middle school students and to be greeters and ushers and hosts on a weekend service. So we're needing about 100 more people as we go to two services in our family ministry area and about 50 or so to serve in, as guests uh, in, in our guest ministry. We want to make sure that guests no longer feel like guests, but they feel right at home. I was talking to one of our members earlier who started serving with first graders. And as they moved up in age, he moved up. And now his small group is about to graduate high school. And he has walked with that group his whole last 10 years or so. It's an amazing opportunity to build lifelong relationships. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I can't commit to every week. Well, we, we got opportunities for you to serve as much as your schedule allows, whether it be once a month or whenever it is. But we're inviting you to consider, pray about how you can be a part of this. Now, as you've been attending service at 1030, there's a whole group of people who've come super earlier than this serving right now in ministries. I'm asking you to consider, you've been receiving people serving your families, our church during this service. Would you consider uh, praying about where God will lead you to serve? 
There's a, there's a next step station as you leave these doors. There's a picture of it. Uh, you don't even have to talk to people. You can just scan a QR code and find out where you can serve and what that means to serve and sign up to serve. But if you are an extrovert like me and you need some physical interaction, uh, there's a big sign-up booth as well in the middle of our four-year area. So these two Sundays, we're signing up to serve. In the last three Sundays of this month, we're going to be training you uh, for that role of serve. So we're grateful that God is going to stir in your hearts the desire, the passion to serve people. The last one is, is this is also targeted, targeted to our online audience. We want you, Bentry Online, to be digitally engaged and relationally connected. To be digitally engaged and relationally connected. The greatest danger of doing church online is that we become isolated. We're asking that you not do that. There are online groups that you can join so that you can have relationships with people. And even, I'm asking you, this may be a big ask. Don't just join our services by yourself at home. Would you invite friends, neighbors? If you're going to stay online, maybe you live in some part of the, of the state or country, you can't get to one of our services. Invite somebody to watch with you, to join you in your home, maybe a neighbor maybe an extended family member. We just believe there's power in relationships. So you can stay digitally engaged, but we are asking that you stay relationally connected. We'll even have questions for you to discuss at the end of our service so that you can have a meal with those who you're watching service with and, and actually go through those questions and have a conversation that encourages one another. Matt Smith, our online pastor, he says this so well. He says, take what God does online and share it offline. Isn't that good? Take what he does online and share it offline. And I think there are ways that we can all do that together. So in summary, here's my list of announcements. <laughs> September 12th, two services, 9 and 11. Three goals. 500 more people back in service. 150 more leaders. And for our, our Bentry Online family, that we would be digitally engaged and relationally connected. Would you pray with that with me today? And would you, would you agree that these are things that we can move towards? Because here's why I know there is a move happening. And in fact, we are not waiting on the move of God. We are the move of God. Could you say that with me? We are not, we're not waiting. waiting on a move of God. We are, we are the move of God. I think half of you got it. Let me try that again. We are not waiting on a move of God. We are the move of God. The move of God began when Jesus rose out of that grave and the Holy Spirit came down on Pentecost. And the church of Jesus was birthed to change the world. Across history, there have been many movements that have come and gone. Many good movements. I, I think about the abolitionist movement of the 19th century or the women's suffrage movement of the early 20th century that gave women the right to vote. How amazing was that? I think about where our world will be without Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement or Nelson Mandela in South Africa fighting against the, against the, the and all that was going on there. <laughs> Movements matter, the apartheid, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> Got it eventually, right? Movements matter because they impact people. At the same time, there have been movements that have damaged the world nationalistic movements or even religious ones like the crusades that have taken life and great injustice happened. Movements, whether they are good or bad, usually come and go. If they achieve a purpose or they attempt to, they come and go. And eventually they will fade away into the background because every movement becomes history. But there is one exception. And this is the movement of Jesus Christ. 
the church of Jesus Christ. This is unlike any other movement that the world has ever seen because this movement did not end when the leader was martyred. Actually, it was begun when he was crucified and then rose again. This movement is different because it's not founded on a set of principles or philosophies. It's anchored in a relationship with Jesus Christ. This movement began long before we got here. It was not begun by a group of people or some smart people thinking about how they could change. God himself started this movement. And this is the only movement truly that transcends geographical boundaries and ethnic lines. It involves equally men and women, rich and poor, single and married, and even Longhorns and Aggies. There's room for everybody in the movement of Jesus Christ. This movement is not political in nature or social in nature. It is spiritual in nature. It is sustained, energized by the Holy Spirit of God. And yet it impacts every sphere of society. Jesus in his human form would not have been the one you would have guessed. Would have launched a global, global redemptive, world-changing movement. But he did. James Allen Francis was a pastor who lived about 100 years ago. He's a Canadian pastor. And he wrote this in his sermon about 100 years ago about Jesus, the movement leader of the church. He said, Jesus never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did one of those things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials by him but himself. His friends ran away. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. Nineteen wide centuries have come and gone today. But he is the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, and all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man upon earth as powerly as Jesus Christ. Amen? Would you agree with that? No one has impacted the world like Jesus Christ. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be finding ourselves in Matthew's chapter 16. In this watershed moment in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. By this time in the story, Jesus' popularity is growing and so is the misunderstanding about him. The Pharisees are beginning to revolt against him. There's all kinds of questions and ideas floating around about who Jesus might be. So here Jesus in this conversation with his disciples wants to clarify who he is and what he has come to do. And here's one thing we find out about Jesus and this movement. That this movement of the church is not about an organization. It's not about an institution. It's about you. It's about me. It's about people. It's about you whether you say you're a Christian or not. It's about you whether you love the church or indifferent to it or couldn't care less about it. No matter where you stand with Jesus, the church was birthed with you and me in mind. It was a movement of people. The church was birthed for you. So here in Matthew 16, here's what we read about this conversation, beginning in verse 13, this watershed moment that defines the meaning, the essence, the essence of the church, the movement of Jesus Christ. 
when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Have you ever wanted to know something but you didn't want to ask somebody directly, so you softened the question. You thought maybe they'll be too shy or scared to answer you directly, so you softened the question. So maybe you wanted to know how they think about you, so you softened it to say, what do other people think about me? When Avery was growing up, uh, we had this alternative personality called Ivoria. Get it? Avery, Ivoria. And so when Avery, she's actually right here, uh, when Avery would do something that she wasn't supposed to, this is a secret, so don't tell her. When she would do something she wasn't supposed to do or say something she wasn't supposed to say, we said, Avery, that doesn't sound like you. That's not like you. That must be Ivoria who did that. She would say, of course, Daddy, that was Ivoria, not me. She will never do it again. Well, it worked for a season until she started blaming everything on Ivoria <laughs> and not taking responsibility for herself. Jesus, in this conversation, asked the disciples, what do other people say about me? Who do you think, who do they think I am? So the disciples start spouting out their answers. And eventually Jesus gets to the heart of this question and he says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Perhaps that's the most important question ever asked in history. Who do you say that I am? In fact, the fate of all human beings rests on the answer to that question, who is Jesus? So let me ask you, who do you say that Jesus is? Some say, well, he was a good, pious, moral leader who lived well and taught us to live well, and we can take parts of his teaching according to our preference and adapt it. Well, maybe he was a good religious leader who died for a good cause, who was martyred for a good cause. Well, maybe Jesus is this emergency lifeline that when we get desperate enough, we throw up a Hail Mary and ask him to help us. Maybe he's a genie that we go to him to make our wishes come true. We've got all kinds of notions about who Jesus is. But here's the reality, the bodily, the physical, the, the historical resurrection of Jesus proves to the world, proves to you and I that Jesus is far greater than any of those things, that he is much more than any of those things. Yes, he was pious. Yes, he was moral. Yes, he was good. Yes, he answers prayers, but he is more than a lifeline. He is our life. He's more than someone who did good. He was good. He was love. And in fact, he is more than just being moral. He is Lord. He's Lord of all. So Simon Peter 
not the brightest in the group, but usually the quickest to respond. Don't elbow anybody next to you. He says, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You usually didn't get it right, but this time he nails it. He gets it right. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. What Peter is saying is, Jesus, you are the one we have longed for, the one we have waited for, the one that the prophets have prophesied about. You are the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. You are Lord. You are the Son of God, meaning you are God himself. So in that moment, Jesus affirms his response And it says, based on this reality of who I am, based on this confession, based on who I am as Messiah, the Son of God, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overcome it. The gates of hell will not prevail. Based on who I am, here's what I'm committed to doing. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. I want to today just scratch the surface of that statement. I will build my church. The church isn't a building. It's not somewhere you go to. It's who you are. The word for church is the Greek word ekklesia, which simply means a gathering of people. An assembly, sort of like what we have here. And it particularly means those who have been called out by God for himself. So the church is simply a gathering of people who are gathering for God because they've been called by God. They've been picked by God. They've been chosen. God is bringing to himself a gathering of people. So wherever you gather as a church, it's the church in full motion because we are the gathering of people that he has called out. For the last 2,000 years, this is what Jesus has been busy doing. Gathering to himself people from everywhere, from every walk of life, building an assembly, building a church, calling people to himself. He has been knocking on the doors of heart and saying, will you let me in? Will you let me forgive you of your sins, cleanse you from your guilt? Will you let me make you brand new? Can I fill you with hope? Can I fill you with everlasting life? Can I give you the truth that you have been desperately looking for? Can I give you eternal, everlasting life? Can I make you a new person, a new man, a new woman? He has been wooing hearts and calling people and pursuing people with his grace, his mercy, his love, because he is gathering for himself a people. So there's three things I want you to know today about this statement of I will build my church, about this movement of the church of Jesus. First of all, the church is God's move. The church is God's move. Second of all, the church is God's move for you. The church is God's move, and this is God's move for you. And lastly, the church is God's move through you. The church is God's move through you. So this movement of the local church, this movement of the bride of Jesus, the body of Christ, this was a move of God. But it's a move of God with you in mind. It's a move for you. But it's also a move that expands through you. So we have a part to play in what Jesus is doing in building his church. Long before Jesus came to earth 2,000 some years ago, God was already laying the foundation of such a gathering of people called out 
to himself. He began with Israel, a nation called out, chosen by God. And that would be the prototype of the church of Jesus. He would gather them to himself. And of course, they would rebel and leave the gathering. But he would invite them back and have mercy on them and, and call them to repentance. And they would come back again. But God had far more in mind than one nation as a gathering. He was laying the foundation for all people from anywhere, any place, to be his own people. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1 that before the foundations of the earth were laid, you and I, we were chosen in Christ to be his people. According to God's delight, his pleasure, his own will, we were chosen before the foundation of the earth were laid to be his children. But here's something that 1 Peter tells us. Peter in 1 Peter says that before the foundation of the earth were laid, Christ was chosen. He was appointed. He was known. He was chosen to be the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. So think about this. Before the world began, you and I were chosen in Christ. And at the same time, we needed a Savior. So Christ was appointed, chosen as the Savior of the world. So for thousands of years, God has been unfolding this remarkable story of redemption, orchestrating all events of human history until he could send the long-appointed, the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus, so that through his sacrifice, you and I, chosen before the foundations of the earth, could be brought together and be saved, be forgiven, because this is how much God was committed to you. God made the first move, and he made every move since then with you in mind. He began a movement on the earth, calling people to himself. Ultimately, he would send his own son, Jesus himself, and he would live a perfect life, die the death we were owed, pay the penalty for my sin, your sin, our rebellion against God, would be buried in a tomb for three days, and then rise from the grave because he loved you so much. You were chosen before the world, and Christ was chosen to be the sacrifice slain for you. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he was committing himself to be the payment to build a church, to be the cost, the price for the building of Christ's church. Revelation 5, verse 9 to 10 reads like this, and they sang a new song, to Jesus they sang, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. I didn't shed my blood for you. No one else did. But Christ did. For you, he was slaughtered, slain. By his blood, he purchased people from everywhere, every tribe, nation, and tongue and creed to be a people for himself. You ever wonder about your worth, your value? We have a culture that's trying to find identity and value based on likes and followers, trying to describe their self-worth with their net worth. You know how much you're valued, how much you're worth? You are worth the blood of Jesus being shed for you. The innocent, perfect blood of Christ, God himself being spilled for you. That's how much you are worth. We sing, how precious is the blood? That means how precious are you? 
because that innocent blood without blemish, without stain, was shed for you and I. That's how much you are worth. The seed of the church is the spilled blood of the lamb. The seed of the church, the seed that brought us into this gathering, the assembly, a people for God himself, is the shed, spilled blood of Jesus, the lamb of God. So the church is God's move, but it's God's move for you. Wherever you are, whoever you are, it's God's move for you. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 2 says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross with all of his hostility and humiliation and shame. He endured the cross with you in mind. He knew that you were worth it, so his sacrifice was worth it. His pain, his agony, the cross was worth it. And thinking about you with you in mind, he would say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Thinking about you, your family, your friends, your neighbors, he would say, Father, it is finished. What they could never achieve, I've accomplished. I've done what they could never do so that we could simply receive by grace what we could never achieve by works. That's the gospel. It is finished, meaning you can now receive freely by grace what you and I could never achieve by works. He made the move. He made the move for you. This is the movement of the church gathering people from all over the world based on what Jesus has done. But that's not all. It is God's move. It is God's move for you, but it's also God's move through you. You're not passive observers. He invites us. Going back to the conversation with Jesus and the disciples, he looks at his disciples now. Here's who I am. I will build my church. And guess what? I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, giving you my followers, my disciples, my church, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus is doing is, it's up to you to invite people into this new life. You get to invite people and give access to people to this new way of life through your story, through how you live, through what you say, through the demonstration, the proclamation of the gospel. You got the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So through you, Jesus is inviting people to forgiveness, to unconditional love, to eternal life, to hope everlasting. In inventory words, we would say like this, Jesus is building his church through ordinary people, experiencing and sharing the extraordinary love of Jesus. As you become a conduit of his love, Jesus is building his church through you. At your PTA, in your neighborhood, in your family, at your workplace, in your office, in your cubicle, in your neighborhood. Wherever you are, God has strategically, on purpose, with purpose, placed you there so that he could build his church there. Through your story, through your life, through the hope of the gospel, overflowing through you, he is building a gathering of people through you. So let me tell you again, we're not waiting on a move of God. We, Bentry, are the move of God. For the last 2,000 years, Jesus is building his church. For the last couple of hard years at Bentry, you know what Jesus has been doing? He's been building his church. Through a global pandemic, you know what Jesus has been doing? He has been building his church. 
When it seemed absent or silent, he has been busy building his church. He's been purging. He's been refining. He's been moving. He's been inviting. He's been sending. He's been gathering to himself a people so that the church of Jesus could be built for him. So who do you say that Jesus is? The Messiah, the one who shed his blood for you because of the historical body physical resurrection. He is not one among many. He is Lord. He is God. If the resurrection of Jesus hadn't taken place, the words of Peter would have been meaningless. And this tiny, small, irrelevant movement of these early Jesus followers would have been tucked away in history. But because he rose, he is the centerpiece of history. Today is he the centerpiece of your heart your soul. We have 15 people being baptized today because Jesus is building his church. Amen. He's not done. He's not done at all. You are here. You are engaged with us online, wherever you are. We are gathered today as a body of Jesus because he's far from being done. We're on the move. This is the move. The move of God initiated by him. The move with you in mind, with your friends in mind. The move through you that expands and reaches every corner of the world. So this week I've got one question for you to ask every day to the Lord. Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? But here's one question I want you to ask him. Jesus, who are you reaching through me? Who are you reaching through me? Just pray that. Just pray, God, who are you? Put a name in my mind. Put a face in my mind. I believe what happens is he'll resensitize you to how he's building his church through you. You don't need a stage. You don't need a mic. No, through you, Jesus is building the church. Would you pray with me? There are some of you today, you, Jesus is reaching you even in this moment. He's calling you. He's saying, come home. I love you. My precious blood was shed for you because you are precious to me. I came down from heaven, entered your story, paid the price you could never pay so that you could receive what you could not ever achieve. So I'm asking you today, will you receive by grace what you can never achieve by works? A new life, hope, forgiveness, eternity. Jesus is on the move. It's moving for you, moving through you. So Father, today as local church, we pray desperately, build your church. Not on some human personality, but on the person of Jesus. Build your church, build it from the ground up. So that we as living stones could gather together, praising the one who spilled his blood that purchased us. Use us, God. We want to be a part of it. So build it through us. Build it through our witness. Build it through our love. Build it through our generosity, our radical kindness. Build your church. We now pray for these 15 who are celebrating new life in Christ. You're building your church through them. So send them. Make them missionaries of the gospel for the sake of Jesus and Jesus alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus an ovation of praise.